Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And if you have your Bible, if you turn to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to walk through three chapters of Scripture this morning. It won't be that long. Some of you look at me like, three chapters? Wow. And, uh, but uh, no, three chapters of Scripture. And uh, to just go to Genesis 37, and we'll pick up there in just a minute. But this weekend, we're talking about what happens when the dreams and the plans and the visions and the passions of your heart, of your life, that you feel like are God-given, are delayed. I've heard it said many times that God is seldom early, he's never late, and he's always right on time. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. What happens when there is something burning in your heart to do, something that you feel like is God-given, and yet at the same time, it is not happening as quickly as you think it should. And so this weekend, as we're talking about this, I'm reminded of a lady named Lillian Thrasher. Lillian Thrasher was born in 1887 in Brunswick, Georgia. And in 1910, she was this young woman who was engaged to be married to a very well-to-do young man, Tom Jordan. And 10 days before the wedding was to take place, she went to a service, a church service, where a missionary from India spoke. And she felt this call of God in her life, this dream moment, this moment where she realized that's what she was supposed to do with her life. So she goes to her, her then engaged and fiancé, Tom, and says, Tom, this is what God's called me to do, and do you, is this something that we could do together? And, and this is what God's wanting me to do, is to be a, a missionary full-time across the seas in northern Africa and Egypt. And Tom says, I want nothing to do with it. And she said, really? And he said, yes, I don't. Let's just call this whole thing off. I don't want to live that kind of life. Dream always costs you something. So they severed the the relationship. And with $100 in her pocket, she set sail for Egypt. Living the dream. When she arrives there, she doesn't really know exactly what she's supposed to do. That's just all that she knows of the journey. And so she goes to Egypt. And in going to Egypt, uh, as soon as she gets there, she she's, uh, meets these other missionaries that are there. And, and they say, there's a woman that would like to be prayed for. She's dying. And so, she, so Lillian goes and she prays for this woman. And the woman is by herself. She's destitute. She's alone. She has a three-month-old child. And the woman, before she dies, says, will you please take my child? And the woman dies. And Lillian takes this child and she realizes this is part of the reason, this is part of the dream, this is part of why she is to go to Egypt. So she goes back to the missionary compound with the other missionaries there and they said, look, we don't do babies here, we don't deal well with babies here, we don't have a ministry for babies here, I don't know if you've ever found that before, but we just don't, so you go somewhere else and find you someplace else. But if you're going to take care of babies, if you're going to take in orphans, you need to go somewhere else and do something else. Sometimes when God calls you to do something, the people of God are not always the most receptive, if you haven't figured that one out. Sometimes the people of God are the last people that want change or something that's different. She knowing what God had put in her heart to do, Lillian took the last $60 that she had remaining. Again, this is the early 1900s. And she bought us, she rented a small house. She got a kerosene stove. She got, she got some furniture. And she began an orphanage alone by herself, a single woman, unmarried, no prospects, in an Arab nation trying to reach these babies that were abandoned and orphaned. By 1919, she has 50 children in an orphanage. But there begins to become uh, uh, political unrest. And so the British government said, look, you've got to leave. Every 
Caucasian, white, American, you must leave and get out of the country. And so Lillian Thrasher, against her will, had to go back in 1919, ordered by the government to leave and go back to the United States, vowing to herself that the dream would not die. What do you do when your dreams are delayed? What do you do when you feel like you're, you're doing what God's called you to do? When you feel like you're where you're supposed to be? When you feel like you're in the sweet spot of what God's calling you to do and you're working it and you've given every dollar, you've given everything, you have given up your life, your energy, your time, your talent, and your treasure and all of a sudden the dream doesn't become a reality. Matter of fact, the dream is almost taken from you. It's completely delayed. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I find this in Scripture in the life of Joseph. Joseph is a fascinating study to me. He's one of those, script, those biblical characters that I really identify with. And in Genesis chapter 37, we began to see this life of Joseph. And we're going to walk, walk it through in chapter 39 and even chapter 41 and see this unfold. Because if you have a dream, if you have a dream, your life will go through four seasons. And we're going to talk about those four seasons that it will that it will repeat sometimes in different orders sometimes at different level always not the same and it doesn't always last for forever but you're going to go through seasons and the first season you're going to go through if you've got a god-given dream is a season of a dreamer it's the moment in which god gives you a dream it's a moment in which you realize that this is why you're on the planet for joseph the bible says in chapter 37 verse 5 joseph had a dream Joseph had a dream. Now, the rest of the chapter begins to talk about what that dream is, but Joseph had a dream. The two most important days of your life as a Christ follower is the day that you were born and the day that you discovered why. The day that you were born and the day that you discovered why. Tomorrow, we'll celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr., and he has an infamous statement that simply says this, you cannot truly live until you know that for which you are willing to die. The day in which you're born and the day in which you realize the reason why you were placed on this planet, there's something that happens. A dream becomes released in your life. And I talked about this last weekend, and I don't want to rehash it, but I do just want to restate it. Every single person, God has a dream for your life. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm not talking about I wish I may, I wish I might have this, wish I wish tonight. I mean God has a dream. He has a plan. He has a vision. And you say, how can you be so sure? Because his word says so. Psalm says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. He, the creator, put desires in your heart, the creation, and he wants to release those things. The Bible says that the gifts that God's given you, he will make room for you before kings. The Bible says that without a dream, without a vision, without a revelation, without a future, you perish. We all have a dream. And all, everybody's is different. But the day in which you realize that dream is the second greatest day of your life. But you won't stay in the dreaming stage long. That's the, that's the good side. That's like the cake and the ice cream. Wow, I got a dream. I got a dream. I'm going to do something great for God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something great for God. And Joseph soon understands that telling that dream will cost him something. And he goes into the next season, which is what I call the worker stage. The worker season. This is where the dream costs you something. This is where the dream hurts. This is where the dream is no longer any fun. This is where the the rubber meets the road, if you would. And let's look at it in the life of Joseph. In chapter 37, verse number 19, we begin reading. This is what his brothers say. Here comes the dreamer. They say to each other, come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. That's his brothers talking. That's not enemies, that's his brothers Verse 21, and when Reuben, his brother, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Let's not shed any blood. 
Let's just throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but we won't lay a hand on him. Verse 26, Judah, another one of his brothers, said to the other brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, a.k.a. the enemy, public enemy number one of a nation of Israel. And let's not lay our hands on him. No, let's just sell him to our enemies. And after all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. Man, with brothers like that, who needs enemies, right? And his brothers all agreed. And so the Midianite merchants came by. His brother pulled up Joseph out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Now look at, flip over to, from, from chapter 37. Go to chapter 39. Chapter 39, verse number 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was in Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. That's a powerful phrase. I don't have time to go through it. But all throughout the life of Joseph, you see this hand and this favor of God. The Lord was with Joseph, which is more, I'm telling you, if anything I pray for, I pray, God be with me. And, and that's my prayer for you and for us. And so that he, that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when the master saw that the, that the Lord was with him, see, even people that are far away from God can see if God is with you. The Lord gave him success in everything he did. And Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household and entrusted into his care everything he owned. When you walk through the season of work, a couple of lessons you're going to learn. I'm going to learn. We all learn. If your dream doesn't cost you anything, it won't mean much to you. This is the season of life that your dream is going to cost you something. I've heard it said, to the extent in which someone is broken is the extent in which God uses them. The more greatly you're broken, the more greatly you're used. I don't know why that is. I don't know why sometimes God breaks us down to build us up. I don't understand. But here's what I do know. Throughout Scripture, that's very true. Over and over and over again, the dream costs you something. The dream is going to demand something of you. For Joseph, he was hated by his brothers. He lost his family. You ever feel like that you have lost your family? Maybe you're a Christ follower. Nobody in your family is. And they've just all kind of, they don't invite you to things anymore. And they don't want to be around you anymore. And they taunt you and they make fun of you. And, 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 and you're just trying to live this life. You're in good company with Joseph. Maybe there's friends or there's work relationships that because of your stance in Jesus Christ and because of what you're doing, that people don't want to talk to you more. They don't really want to have a whole lot to do with you. You're in good company with a guy like Joseph. See, it's going to cost you something. Well, can I tell you, just because you have a dream, not everybody's going to be excited. Not everybody likes a dreamer. Quite frankly, very few people do. I don't know why it is, but it's just, I, we all have this ability to do this. We all have this, but at the end of the day, people just don't, they don't embrace it. They don't like the ideology. They, it, it, it's like monkeys in a barrel. They just want to pull you down because it makes them feel bad about where they are. It makes them feel like they've got to work. It, it's that whole thing going against status quo. It's that whole repression of what's going on. And again, that's just the work of the flesh. I'm telling you, God is a good God and he has great plans for you. But it's going to cost you something. He's sold as a slave. He's a free man. Because of his dream, he's in slavery. Listen, sometimes we have this ideology that, well, if I'm really living this life right, if I'm really walking it out right, God will protect me. If I'm really doing the right thing, nothing bad will happen to me. If I'm really doing God's work, there'll never be anything that will happen to me. 
That's completely against Scripture. That holds no theological water. Listen, just because you're in God's hands, just because you're doing what God calls you to do, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to want to be your friend. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to embrace what you're doing. Not everybody's going to rally to your cause. Matter of fact, there will be some people that will hate you. There will be some people that will talk bad about you. There will be some people that will try to put you down because they can't handle it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. It's part of paying the price for the dream. It's working day in and day out. But understand this. Just as God was with Joseph, he'll be with you. That's the most powerful thing. Is that God will never leave you nor forsake you even to the ends of the world. God will be with you. I'm telling you, of all the things that I pray, the chief of which every single day I say, God, I pray for wisdom beyond my experience. I pray for insight and illumination beyond my giftings and my graces. And I pray, oh God, that you give me favor that I don't deserve, but give me favor to walk in you today. Because favor ain't fair, but I'm telling you, you know when you got it and you know when you ain't. And some of you go, that's not grammatically correct, but you understand what I said, didn't you? Favor. The favor of God being on your life. The favor of God can mean in any situation you're put in, whether you're a free man or you're a slave. That you can have success. That's what happened in the life of Joseph. Whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, God will be with you and he can raise you up. Favor, favor, favor. That's what we have as children of God, favor. People go, why are you a Christ follower? What, what good is that? It's the favor of God, man. I'm walking in the right relationship with God. I sleep at night. I sleep all through the night. Unless I had a lot, like I ate a lot last night and I didn't sleep as well because of the Packer party. Way to go, Packers. But oh, oh man. But, but a couple of times and I'm okay, right? But, but, but normally I sleep all through the night. Life is good and life is great. And, and, but there are times the dream is going to cost you something. And when you go from the worker phase, you don't go from, from mountaintop to mountaintop, from glory to glory. You kind of go from the frying pan to the fire. And when you go to this prisoner phase, prisoner phase, it's the next level of delay. It's defined and it's confined. It's a situation where you have no control. You have no ability to, to really do. It may not be a physical prison like it was with Joseph, but it may be circumstantial. It may be mental. It may be social. It, it may be, but it's a situation where you have no control. Like driving a car on ice, you are completely yielded to its power. In the life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 39, verse number 6, we continue to read on what happens in the life of Joseph, and we learn. Joseph was a well-built and handsome man, like myself. And after, and yet you laugh. And after a while, Joseph's wife took notice, excuse me, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused, verse 8. Let's skip on down to verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Verse 14. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me and I screamed. But when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Total lies. Verse 19. And when his master heard this story, he told his wife saying, this is how your slave treated me. And he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's what a prison is. It's a place where you are confined. It's a place where you have no control. It's a place where you are completely at the mercy of something beyond you. And you're just trying to live the dream. 
You're just trying to be LTD, baby. You're just trying to go from mountaintop from mountaintop from glory to glory. But all of a sudden, you go from the palace into the pit. You go from the pit into the prison. Let me tell you a couple of lessons here. When you're working towards a dream, there will be distractions. When you are working, there will be distractions. There will be things that will come into your life to distract you, to take you off course on what God's called you to do. Because the enemy of your soul and my soul does not want you to succeed or to move forward in what he's called you to do. No, he wants you to completely be just shrunk down into this into this puddle uh, that you have no ability to do anything. If you are following the will and the plan of God for your life, you're going to begin to work out that dream. The sovereignty of God meets the responsibility of humanity and the two come together in his perfect will and wisdom. And when you're working that, there are going to be distractions. And here's what I say all the time. It's not necessarily the devil. It's not the devil coming in. I mean, in his situation, it was a woman coming after him wanting, a, wanting a, 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 an adulterous relationship. And he wasn't, he wasn't game. And he did the right thing. But doing the right thing got him in the wrong place. Doing the right thing cost him something. Having integrity cost him something. It'll pay off later, but not right now. And sometimes that's, that's part of the deal. Sometimes you say no today to say yes on down the road. Sometimes you say no today. It's that delayed gratification to say yes later. But while you're working towards a dream, there's going to be distractions. And they're not always just a devil coming in with a pitchfork. Like with Joseph, sometimes they're just good things that are the enemy of God things. Sometimes they're just some good things that are the enemy of God things. I mean, I'm called the pastor. Well, let's, let's talk about me because that's the easiest to pick on me for a minute. Um, and in being called the pastor and pastoring, I, I have opportunities from time to time to go different places and to pastor different places. We're a part of the Assemblies of God. There are 13,000 churches in North America with the Assemblies of God. As many Starbucks as there are, there are Assemblies of God churches. And from time to time, I get phone calls from churches and from church boards saying, hey, we've noticed what you've done here and we've seen what God's blessed you and we'd like to invite you to come and would you be interested in coming? Or I have someone that calls me or someone that says, takes me out for a meal if I'm traveling and says, hey, I'd like to, would you be interested? If you, is God stirred on your heart? Would, would you like this? And sometimes they're great places. I mean, sometimes, man, it's, it's big, big, big. Way bigger than me. I'm like, me? You called me? Well, I, you got me mixed up with somebody else. Some other last name, Cole. It's not me. Maybe you meant to call Rick Cole in Sacramento, not Aaron Cole in Milwaukee. But anyhow. Distractions. And I've seen friends of mine, sometimes God is moving, but sometimes it's just a distraction. And they think that what's bigger is better and it's more kingdom influence. And by the way, we're all preaching the same gospel and it's the same church, it's the same denomination. Why couldn't God use me over here? Because he's got a dream for you right here. Good things become distractions. So you have to say, okay, God, what do you want? It's not about where it's located. It's not about proximity. It's not about geography. It's not about size. It's not about substance. It's about your will be done. Do what you want to do. And I will say no to the distractions in order to say yes to you. I'll say no to the good things in order to say yes to the God thing. Because there's only one God thing. There's a lot of good things, only one God thing. The greatest deterrent to your dream will always be and always is sin disobedience to God, to the dream that God's called you to, the greatest deterrent is and always will be sin. I don't care whether you're a pastor and you're a vocational ministry or you're, in, you're, you're a business person and marketplace ministry, the greatest deterrent to God's dream for your life, for your family, for your kids is going to be sin. And the only person that governs that and guards that is you. And the only person that judges it is God. 
And as we'll see in this passage, God paid attention to how Joseph handled the situation. Oh, it cost him something in the moment. Oh, he had to pay a price right there. Oh, he was done wrong. I mean, he was robbed like a 7-Eleven. He was done wrong. There was nothing right about that. But at the end of the day, he did the right thing. And he learned another valuable lesson that your parents probably taught you and they taught me. Is that life is not fair. Is it? Life isn't fair. And sometimes people say, well, I'm going to church. I'm loving God. God's loving me. and everything just going to work out? Good ship, lollipop. It's a good ship, lollipop. I mean, I see people like that with church going, it should all be easy. I wish it was. Trust me. It would be a whole lot easier for me, you, for everybody. But it seems like there is something that when we sign up, we, we don't sign up on the good ship lollipop. This is a warship. We're in the Lord's army. You ever seen that song, your kid? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm telling you, we're in the Lord's army. And this is battle, and it's combat, and it's, war, it's face-to-face, and it's hand-to-hand, and it's a struggle, and it's a fight, and it's not easy, and it will not be fair. Joseph was wronged, and he learned very quickly just what it was going to cost him. But he stayed true to the dream. Even though the dream was delayed by putting him in the pit. Even though the dream was delayed by him going to the palace. Even though the dream was delayed again by him being, boom, it's kind of like shoots and ladders going back down to the prison. He remained faithful. And he ushered him into the fulfillment of his dream, the ruler stage of his life. The ruler stage. For every single person, that may be different in this room, what that means and what that is. But it's the fulfillment of the dream. In Genesis chapter 41, the verses 1 through 40, we're not going to read all of it. We're going to go through it starting in verse 1. We see the fulfillment of the dream that God gives Joseph. Read it with me in verse 1. When two full years had passed, he's been in prison for two years. Actually, longer than that, but, but two full years had passed at this point. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream. In the morning, his mind, verse 8, in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Verse number 9. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief uh, baker in the house of, uh, of the captain of the guard. And each of us had a dream that night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. And now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And he told us our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. Verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. Look at his response in verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God, capital G, Jehovah, will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Now, we skip on down because the, the, the dream is inconsequential to what we're talking about today. But look at verse 33. And now Pharaoh, and now this is Joseph speaking to him based on the, on the interpretation of the dream. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge in the land of Egypt. And the plan seemed good to Pharaoh to do, and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man whom is the spirit of the Lord? Or the Spirit of God. Again, that hand of God. I'm telling you, when the hand of God is on your life, people that are far away from God can realize it. Verse verse number 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Boom. 
And if you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that, that Joseph, they put a ring on his hand, which is a signet of, 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 of authority of the, of the royal house of Pharaoh. They put a robe on his back. They establish him. They parade him through the city streets. And he actually, in essence, is used to save the nation of Israel from famine. And his brothers, if you read the rest of the story, his brothers come back and they actually fulfill the dream and bow before him and ask for, for grain. And Joseph walks them through these calisthenics, if you would, uh, to process through his own emotions. And, uh, and he actually saves his entire household and the dream is fulfilled exactly what he told his brothers when he was this young teenage boy. But 15 years of delay. Scholars say somewhere around 15 years, he was about 30 years of age when this happened. 15 years of ups and downs and ins and outs and wondering. And 15 years sitting in a jail cell going, did I hear from God or did I not hear from God? 15 years of sitting in a cistern going, am I really going to be sold by my brothers? What did I do that was so bad to them? 15 years of going, I did not approach that woman. I did nothing wrong. 15 years of going, oh God, where have you forgotten me? But in all of that, the Bible says he doesn't question God. God was with him. And every step along the way, God blessed him. And every step along the way, God used him. And in the fulfillment of, of the dream, God will use your gifts that he's given you just as he did with Moses. I mean, just as he did with Joseph. Joseph is used by God. This dreamer has the ability to dream and interpret dreams. And all along the way, it's what got him out of the prison, it's what got him in front of Pharaoh, and it's got what got him put into the place of authority. Let me tell you something. God has gifted every single person in this room with gifts and with abilities that he will use, not because he has to, but because he chooses to, he will use in your life and in my life to accomplish his will and his purpose. There's something in our world that says you have to be at the right place at the right time. You gotta know the right people. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to rock, know when to run. I know that's Kenny Rogers, but it applies here, right? The gambler. Okay. Circa 1983. Anyhow, the truth is, is that's not the case. The only person you have to know is him. And the only one that you have to serve is him. And the only one that you have to make happy is him. It's real simple. Those of you that are running around like crazed rats trying to figure this whole thing out, finding the cheese and looking for wheels and spinning deals and making everything happen, you're crazy. You have lost it. The Bible says in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll guide and direct your paths. I'm telling you, it's real simple. God has gifted you with gifts and abilities that he has placed in your life that he wants to use to fulfill the dream that he has for your life. It's not somewhere out there. God's put it into your life. And when those gifts and those dreams, if you and those abilities, when they're connected to his power source, you can do all things. Let me tell you something else when you look at this life of Joseph. It's real simple. You be you. You be you. Be who God's called you to be. You don't have to be somebody else to fulfill the plan, the will, and the purposes of God for your life. You don't have to talk like someone else. You don't have to roll like someone else. You don't have to speak like someone else. You don't have to be connected like someone else. You don't have to have someone else's money or connections. Don't look across the aisle and go, well, if I had their connections, well, if I had this, well, if I was married to that person, well, if I had that kind of money, well, if I had that kind of opportunity. You got a case of the if I had, and the if I had don't get you jack. Mm -hmm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. 
Because here's the reality. God has gifted you. God has placed you. God has given you what you need. And when you connect yourself to him, when you live life for the audience of one, he will work the details out. He'll take care of the horizontal relationships. You take care of the vertical relationship. He'll take care of the, hor- you, you, he'll take care of the horizontal relationships. He'll open up Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? All the things that you deal with with life, with your income, with your family, with relationships, with where you're going to go with your work, with your employment, with everything. He will work everything out. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous, Christ followers, forsaken, or his seed, you and I begging for bread. I am telling you, you be you. When I started out in ministry, I thought I had to preach like Rod Parsley. I thought I had to wave a hanky like T.D. Jakes. I thought I had to stand with the poise of Creflo Dollar. I thought I had to do it all. Man, I had the big suits. I mean, I had two-tone patent leather shoes. My, get, my, get my preach on. And I thought, I am acting a fool. That is not me. This is me. It's as good as it gets. Don't like it? Go find somebody else. That's all I got, baby. You be you. Be who God's created you to be. It's one of the things I love about Life Church. It's not about pomp and circumstance. If you're a blue jeans and a sweatshirt kind of a guy, wear it to church. I don't care. The Bible says you and I are the one that looks on the outer appearance. God's the one that looks on the heart. I'd much rather you have a pure heart and be a horrible dresser than be a great dresser and have a horrible heart. Be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't look across the aisle at someone else. Don't take your cues from someone else. Be you. Don't walk in arrogance. Walk in humility before the Lord. But be you. And God will give you favor. And pray for favor. I pray for favor for this church all the time. I pray for favor. This past week, last weekend, I stood before you and said, man, on Monday, this last past Monday, we are going to be going before the management of the Majestic, of, of, the, of the Marcus Cinemas, and we are asking them, to, to be able to, to utilize the biggest screen that they have in Milwaukee and the biggest theater in Milwaukee to be able to use that to preach the gospel every single weekend at a price in which we, we can handle and can afford. And last Monday, many of you joined with me, 3 o'clock, and we prayed. And, 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 and Gary Privenich, our, our, our business administrator, and Ryan Coggins, our executive pastor, and Jeremy Chapman, our campus pastor for the West Campus, all met with the management. I was supposed to have been out of town. My flight was delayed, uh, actually canceled because of the weather. And so I was on a conference call, and I just kind of put it on mute, set in my office, and I said, you know what? These guys are supposed to be there. They can handle it. They can do it. They don't need me. This isn't about me. God, this is about you. And I bowed my knee in my office. And I just said, oh, God, give us favor. Give, open the doors. God, I don't know of another place that we're supposed to be. If we're not supposed to be there, shut the doors. But if we're supposed to be there, open a door that no man can open and shut the doors that no man can shut. Give us favor, your word says. And I walked God through that. And within 20 minutes, we had everything that we wanted, everything that we wanted to do. And so April the 3rd, we launched the West Campus of the Majestic in the ultra screen. That's favor. Amen. And we're going to explain what that means. Some of you are going, I don't really understand what's going to happen. Is this going to like beam me up, Scotty, kind of a Star Trek, sci-fi, what are y'all doing? I don't understand. We'll explain it in the weeks to come. But my point is God will give you favor and God will open doors that no man can open. He will shut doors that no man can shut if you will but trust in him. But God's funny. If you think you can do it, he'll say, go on with your bad self. You ever had those moments? 
You think you can handle this? Go on with your bad self. You think you can run the company? Go on with your bad self. You think you can run your finances? Go on with your bad self. You don't think you need me? Go on with your bad self. You think you can parent your kids? Go on. And you go on with your bad self until you come to the end of your bad self. And then what do you do? Oh, God! I need some help. Can I get some help down here? Can somebody help me, please? And God said, I was just waiting for you to ask. What season are you in? Are you in that dreaming stage? Man, I'm telling you, God has a dream for you. And that is not pie in the sky. I wish I may, wish I might have this, wish I wish the night stuff. That's real deal. Do you have a dream and you're just working? You're just working, man. You're just working it out. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing everything you have the ability to do. You're just giving it all to God and, and, and you're just working it out. Are you in that prison stage where there are things that are completely beyond your control? You feel like a kid riding a BMX bicycle downhill on gravel and you're thinking to yourself, baby, this thing can go at any time, but this is where I'm supposed to be. Or maybe you're on the cusp of the fulfillment of your dream becoming a reality. My advice, wherever you are, is what Paul says. The Apostle Paul says, when you've done everything you know to do to stand, then just stand firm. On what? On his word. On what? On his promise. On what? On him. Not on yourself. We say at Life Church all the time, lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you would fall. Don't stand on my words. My words won't get you anywhere. They won't get you a cup of coffee at McDonald's. His words. His words are yes and amen. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last, that which is to come and forevermore shall be. Trust in Him with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll guide and He will direct your past because Jeremiah says that God has given us a future and a hope. I left you with Lillian Thrasher in 1919, forced to leave Egypt because of political turmoil. When she came back to the United States, completely distraught, felt like the dream was delayed and was maybe even dead. She connected with a young band of, of Christian radicals called the Assemblies of God. They had been kicked out of every mainline denominational movement because they experienced this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they had a dream that they could change the world and revolutionize it by missions. And they saw Lillian and they saw her heart and they said, Lillian Thrasher, we want to connect with you. We want to strategically partner with you. We want to send you back to Egypt and do what God's called you to do. So this single, unmarried, non-connected, no money young lady goes back in 1920. One year later. And by 1923, she has 300 orphans that she's caring for. And by 1961, at age 74, Lillian Thrasher died and went to be with the Lord. And she refused to, her body to be sent back to the United States, to Brunswick, Georgia, where she was born. She insisted on being buried in Egypt. And although she never married and never had biological children of her own, there were 10,000 children that called her mom because she lived a dream. 
And my encouragement for you today is to live the dream. The dream may be delayed, but the dream is not lost. The dream may be delayed, but the dream has not died. Live the dream that God has put in your heart. And when you step out of the boat and you step into the will of God and you say, God, I will go, I will say, I will be whatever you want me to be, whether it's in vocational ministry or marketplace ministry, makes me no difference. I choose to live the dream that you put in my heart. God will not leave you nor forsake you. And maybe, just maybe, thousands will be touched by the decisions that you've made. Father, I thank you for your word.